Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. Today's marketer has a complex job. We have to figure out how to deliver on the functional elements of marketing while using all the marketing tech tools at our disposal. At the same time, we must stay in touch with the emotional and relational aspects that really make consumers take action. And within that, we have social elements. Uh, how do we inject our marketing into the conversations that our consumers have with each other? And then finally, we have to align our systems of thinking to fit with the thinking and journeys of our consumers. It's a lot. But today, if you joining me on the podcast is the Vice President of Community Impact for Jackson Healthcare where he helps leverage people, programming, and partnerships, and philanthropy to improve access to health care and the well-being of young people. As a writer, he helps professionals cultivate a deeper understanding of who they are and what they do and the work they do, and includes their values and their purposes. Um, I discovered his solid, his solid advice to marketing and business professionals through his articles on businessgrow.com. And I'm delighted to welcome as a guest to the podcast, Keith Jennings. Hey, Keith. Great to be here. I'm, I'm so happy to be uh, talking with you today. Definitely. I, I'm really looking into uh, talking with you as well, because, you know, I've, I've gone through a lot of your articles and, you know, they not only in, enlighten me with your insights, but also have some questions that I really want to discuss with you. Mm, let's do it. All right. So one of your articles you have on businessgrow.com that I really like, um, in that article, you say that businesses hire marketing to do a variety of jobs, such as brand awareness and lead generation, SEO and more. But you explain that these jobs aren't limited to their functional elements. They come with a mix of functional, emotional, relational and spiritual elements. So can you walk us through those jobs of marketing beyond the functional jobs that are that we are accustomed to marketing delivering? Absolutely. And, and let's even back up a little further to kind of set the stage, you know, for this language we're using and, and mm -hmm. what this is. So, you know, all this started for me. I read an article in Harvard Business Review had to been 2008 ish. I, I can't even remember exactly by Clay Christensen. And in it, he tells this story about this fast food company that wanted to sell more milkshakes. And he said, you know, they bring in the traditional market researcher, uh, you know, they analyze, you know, what flavors do we have? Yeah, you know, they do the in, in restaurant, you know, customer interviews and drive through interviews to say, you know, what do you like in a milkshake and what makes you buy a milkshake? Do, do all the traditional marketing stuff. And the net is, uh, you know, the fast food chain uh, launches, a, you know, a new marketing campaign around all the research and insights and buyer personas that this research revealed you know, and sales of milkshakes went nowhere. So they bring in Clay, you know, Clay and team, and they started with the fundamentally different questions. Their question was, 
what jobs do people hire milkshakes to do in their lives? And I loved that question because what they learned was they had a, a morning crew of customers who hired milkshakes for breakfast. Uh, so they found out and, you know, they've done donuts, they've done, you know, croissants, they've done, you know, sausage biscuits, everything. And they were trying to hire something that could last 20 minutes, uh, be enjoyable to consume, could be consumed with one hand, you know, didn't get your fingers messy or your, your you know, your clothes and pants messy and that held off hunger till lunch. And, you know, in interviewing them, they found milkshakes were the only thing that did that job well. And then they found a group of afternoon milkshake buyers who were hiring milkshakes as yes moments with their kids. Uh, so, you know, as a parent, right, what's, what's your days and weeks? Can I do this? No. Can I go, can I, you know, can I have more screen time? No. It's like, you got to do your homework, get your shower. We got to get to practice. And, um, you know, it was finally a moment where, you know, a, a, a bewildered parent, can I have a milkshake? Yes. That, you know, they were actually able to hire that. And so what he explored and unpacked in that is that sure milkshakes, you know, do a functional job mm -hmm. uh, of, of, you know, hunger or, you know, just needing to consume some food and calories, but they do, they have an emotional job they do for us through the taste and textures uh, that we experience when we, you know, drink a milkshake, they have a relational job in that, you know, you tend not to drink milkshakes by yourself. You tend to drink it with family members or friends or, you know, in social settings like that. And, you know, in, in this case, I wouldn't, I couldn't say or not whether a milkshake has a spiritual element. I don't know if it somehow connects people, you know, to the greater good or, or the universal in some way, but uh, I just found that fascinating. So, what I found out, and, and I'm the son of a, of a CEO, so, you know, I grew up, you know, with a dad who kind of jokingly, you know, fired a lot of marketing people, and I got interested in, you know, what is it that's bothering you about what they're doing, and, and what, what do you want, you know, what are you wanting the marketing to do, you know, in your hospitals, uh, and all that, and so it was kind of these little pieces that finally came together when I read that article to say, we hire everything in our lives to do specific jobs for us. And those jobs aren't just, they don't just have a functional dimension. They have an emotional dimension, a relational dimension, and in some cases, in many cases, a spiritual dimension. And the more clear we can get about all those, those dimensions and get clear about that job we're trying to do, the better shot we have of coming together as a team and, and accomplishing that. So, so going back to your question, you know, which is, you know, what, what are the jobs marketing can do beyond the functional? The answer is it's infinite. Uh, it's whatever job that team in that situation with that customer base or that client base needs to get done. And so that's why I feel like, you know, it's such a great place to start in marketing whether it's an agency client relationship or whether it's a CEO CMO relationship or whether it's even a CMO to marketing team relationship uh, or, or a marketing team to, to contractor relationship is always great to start with the question, you know, what job are we hiring marketing to do today? And then you can get kind of granular with that. You can say, you know, what job are we hiring our website to do? What job are we hiring this email campaign to do? What job are we hiring our, this podcast to do? And, uh, and really get everybody around the table to kind of surface maybe those unconscious jobs mm -hmm. uh, that, that they're needing done with that beyond just the functional. 
So I hope that kind of gives you some tea yeah. up and, and answers that. It, it definitely does. And I, I love that you have the angle of the son of a CEO who's fired marketers. Because, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that that's for the audience that the portion of the audience that's marketers. We want to hear that. We want to know what can we do not to get fired, right? Right. So, <laughs> that's an interesting perspective that I really I, I like to hear from you. Um, yeah. You know, and for me as a, as a content production agency owner, um, in order to make absolutely sure that we can deliver on a client expectations, the first question that we ask a prospect is, you know, what do you want this content to do for you? That's uh, it. You know, what do you want this video, this podcast to do for your business? That's the jobs question, right? Right, right. So, you know. What are some other tips you could provide to help marketers or their, even the executives who, you know, who these marketers work for, um, as well as the marketers and the agencies that they hire? What's some advice on helping them better align their expectations? And, and it starts with, you know, it always starts with that jobs question. Uh, and I would say it really starts, you know, our tendency as, as people is to start with a self-orientation. So when you, you put that in a business, it starts with an organizational orientation. And so step one is just stepping around to the other side of that coin. You know, we're looking and seeing the number nine on the ground and our customers are seeing the number six. And so, you know, the, uh, it's, this, it's the same shape. We're, we're just seeing it from different sides. And so uh, it, it really starts in those collaborative type environments with, Let's hop over first before we even talk strategy or anything, uh, you know, tactical or strategic from that nature. Let's step over the customer side. Let's better understand who they are, what their world looks and feels like today, and get clear on what jobs uh, they're hiring products like ours or services like ours to do. Uh, and, and let's even determine if they really, really value that because not hiring anything is also an option. Mm -hmm. And so my advice would be getting over there, you know, if and where possible, get out in the field with customers or clients. Uh, if, if that's not an option, uh, given today's environment, at least get on the phone with them, uh, you know, and, and just listen, just listen <laughs> more than anything else. Just listen, ask questions. And as you, as you uncover kind of the jobs they're, they're trying to get done, then you move back over to your side and say, okay, you know, what job, what job as a business do we need to get done here? And what's the, what's the, you know, center of the, what's the crossover section of the Venn diagram there where mm -hmm. we can help our customers or clients get the job they need done while we're at the same time accomplishing the job we need done. And then, you know, within that is understanding it's always more than a functional job. You're right. There's there's relational elements to that, how we look to others, how we belong. Uh, there's you know, there's um, emotional elements of, of the sensory experience that each, you know, at the table is going to have, you know, within that exchange. Uh, and, in, and in many cases, I'd say there is a connection to the to a greater good or more universal themes there as well. So getting as clear and granular as possible on that will set up the right metrics. Well, let's dig a bit into that to, to to the relational part of that because I guess when in terms when, in terms of relational, you also have to talk about the consumers' conversation with each with each other. That's it. And so let's talk a bit about you know how consumers communicate with each other about our brands. And I want to introduce the audience to a term that I learned from you, and I think this term dates back to like 2007 when um, Yuri Engstrom mentioned it. 
And the term is social objects. Yes. And before, I guess before we discuss the term social objects, uh, maybe you can share a definition of what a social object is. A, a social object and, and, and full kudos to Hugh McLeod with Gaping Void. That's where, this is where I learned it from. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then from there, just dug deeper. A social object uh, is any person, place, thing, or idea that brings two or more people together. That's a social object. It, it can be tangible. It can be intangible. It can be, uh, it can be that milkshake. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it can be a cup of coffee. It can be a, be a meeting. Uh, it can be uh, warm cookies. Uh, it's just anything, any noun that, that attracts two people together to form a relationship and socialize. That's a social object. And it's funny that since we're talking about all this food here, the social object that came to mind was the uh, was a chicken sandwich from uh, the Popeyes. Yeah, and that became a social phenomenon object. Yes, because it wasn't just about the sandwich; it was about conversations about the sandwich and have you yes. had the sandwich and do you like a pickle or not or you know it, it became a social object. That's it. All trends, every single trend that we see on Twitter or 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 read in the news or you know hear from the latest research. All trends are essentially driven by social objects, uh, and they're built around social objects. And uh, it could be it could be a news event. It could be it's infinite what it can be. The trick is, as human beings, we have to connect and relate and socialize with one another. And therefore, we are going to find something each, and we're going to find many things throughout our days uh, to become the social objects that allow us to have those interactions. So, so how does a brand, knowing that there is a such thing as a social object, I mean, we probably, we, we do them. We think of them as, you know, a campaign or, you know, we don't think about let's create a social object. We think about a campaign or how do we promote this, con this content or this product. And social objects kind of just happen if we're lucky. You know, nobody plans a social object. So mm -hmm. is there a way, and, and maybe you even have some examples of how it's been done, but can a company actually create a social object and on purpose and then benefit from it? Yes. And I, and you know, where I'm at to this point is saying it's probably easier for product, some product people than it is for service people. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and it, and it arguably may be a little bit easier for B2C folks than it is for B2B folks, B2B folks, but it's possible. It's, it's possible just requires work and that's our job. That's mm -hmm. our job. So, and again, it goes back to listening. Um, you know, it's funny in the marketing world, we talk about content marketing, we talk about that. These are social objects for marketers, if you think about it, right? Podcasting, mm -hmm. what's, a, what's a current social object um, is uh, Clubroom. You know, Clubroom is Clubhouse. just the latest of a billion social objects for marketers that bring marketers together to talk Mm -hmm. uh, and share ideas and, and connect with one another. But when it comes to our businesses, you know, unless you're extremely lucky, doubtful your product or service is ever the social object. <laughs> unless unless you mess up. <laughs> that's it. So, you know, if you're an yeah. artist, if you're a creator, if you're a maker, absolutely the, the product or, or the experience you're creating is in and of itself a social object. Could be a painting, could be a concert, could be, you know, a song or an album, things like that. In the business world, it's almost like we have to come in through the sides. Social objects 
could be trends, could be news, could be uh, jobs to be done. To me, jobs to be done is the heart of the social object, which is, you know, uh, I've got a problem and I'm thinking about my problem. And mm -hmm. if you bring up my problem, now that's a social object. So we can discuss and and I'm willing to listen to you and connect with you to learn more about how I might be able to solve this problem. Um, that's yeah, actually, really... I'm yeah, thinking, you had me thinking when you said that it's easier for B to C than it is for B to B. And, and it certainly is. Um, and as a B2B marketer, you have me trying to think, can I even think of a B2B social object? And I think the case may arise when a particular brand has a new innovation and within the, the circle of those users, that innovation becomes a topic. Like, right, for example, for, for me, let's say my social, my business social sphere would be, say, marketing automation or CRM. Mm -hmm. So if all of a sudden there's a merger, let's say, Salesforce bought HubSpot or something. Mm -hmm. That merger becomes a social object because exactly. everybody who I work with at HubSpot or Salesforce, we're going to talk about it. That's you know? it. And their brand is going to probably benefit from all that conversation. So maybe these, you know, mergers, acquisitions, um, product announcements, rev you know, new reveals of a new product uh, offering might actually be a, a social object. Exactly. And, and really, you know, it goes back to where we started, which is if you understand the jobs your customers or clients are trying to get done in their lives, you can connect, you, you can naturally kind of find topics and information, you know, what we'll call content. You, mm -hmm. you can find content that can become or be used as a social object to try to, you know, create a create an exchange or, or a connection there. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I want to pivot a bit. And this is might might be digging a bit into psychology, but I always say that that's a large part of marketing. You have to understand psychology uh, when you're doing the marketing. Um, I want to talk about a common marketing mistake that you recently wrote about on LinkedIn. And what, you know, what, for me, one of the great things about talking with interesting people like you, Keith, is that I get to benefit from books that you've read and I haven't. <laughs> so. I feel the same way. <laughs> Yeah. So you referenced a um, Daniel Kahneman book entitled yes. Think Fast and Slow. And I, and I know it's, it's a it's a marketing or business staple. And I say I haven't I have to add it to my repertoire because I don't it's have it It's a beast. It's a beast of a book. That. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that book, I know he, I do know this. He dives into system one and system two thinking. And in your article, you paralleled this type of thinking in your LinkedIn article to demonstrate an avoidable marketing mistake that businesses make. So, so first, before we go into that, and again, let's, let's define system one and system two thinking. Yeah. So the way Kahneman, uh, you know, kind of teaches it is system one thinking. It, uh, we operate on that. We've kind of got two brains that let's start with that. So imagine we've got two brains uh, and there's a, there's a switch that flips between the two brains. So we're, we're using one or the other in every situation and moment. 95% of the time we are operating on system one thinking. And so system one thinking is, is unconscious, is predominantly unconscious and automatic thinking. So, you know, a, a fun example may be, you know, you're at home, uh, you just had dinner, you, you drink a lot of sweet tea, you got to go to the bathroom. You do not think about, you know, well, I wonder what the best, best path to the restroom is. You know, <laughs> we, you, you know, we don't even think about things like that. You just do them. And I, I, I use this math example to kind of say, here's this, you can feel system one thinking by just saying two plus two equals 
And, you know, everybody knows four, there's no calculation, no pen and paper. Nobody's got to grab a calculator. It's just coming straight from memory. It's automatic. Uh, we've just memorized that number. We're not even doing math. We're just reciting uh, from, from memory. So system one thinking is that. System two thinking is, is conscious level thinking and is complex thinking. And the way Kahneman describes it, system one is fast thinking. System two is slow thinking. So another example is, you know, where assist, our system one brain says, oh, two plus two, oh, it's four. Then if you do, okay, 643 times 12 is system one brain says, that's you system two. And the switch yeah. flips, system two kind of wakes up and says, okay, I need, a, I need a pencil and a piece of paper. I need a calculator. I, we got to do some work now. Okay. Uh, and so system one thinking is is what they uh, Kahneman describes as we operate in cognitive ease mm -hmm. and system two thinking is is cognitive uh, strain uh, so we can only stay in system two mode for for uh, you know short burst and short periods and then we just get tired you know and as you think back through your, your business days think of days where you had to be just on dealing with complicated problems and people issues you're mentally drained and spent by the end of those days. And that's because you were forced into system two thinking, uh, you know, for, for more. It's, all, it's like a muscle you have to kind of exercise. So that's kind of the difference between the two and how they work. OK, so now we have that clear. Let's talk about how marketers apply that, because in your article, you mentioned that we make this mistake sometime by sticking with system one. That's it. And, and no, this is a human thing, not a marketer <laughs> right? thing. Out of, it, this all comes out of our, you know, the, uh, the, the cognitive biases that we all have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're unconscious, we're unaware of these things. And so, you know, our brain naturally kind of tries to phone it in to protect us, right? It's trying to keep, it's trying to keep our energy down. And so, you know, great example of that is, uh, whether it's a CEO or a CMO or an agency or whatever, we seem to immediately have answers to every marketing problem, right? Oh, you just need a website. Oh, you just need a landing page. Oh, you should just write a blog post on that. You should post on, you need to be on, you need to post this on social media more. You need to do it three times a day, not two times a day. Like all those answers are system, typically system one answers because, you know, they're easy. We don't have to think about it. Uh, and so my encouragement is just to say, you know, what if we're wrong? What if, what if we're, we don't know what's going to work best in a certain situation, even if it's a marketing problem that we've solved and encountered many, many times? How do we really know that this, the, the same application to the same problem is going to work this time? So, you know, I always encourage people. I mean, we've got to be efficient. We've got to be productive. So I'm not saying we have to, you know, drag down every single decision you know, to, to put a lot of thinking behind it. But it's a good exercise. I look at it as just a good exercise as we encounter day-to-day -day problems as marketers to maybe just have one of us assigned each day to be the wait a minute person and be like, well, we're, we're jumping to this. We're, we're all jumping to this solution really fast. Now let's think about, let's think about it for a second before we just rush forward with doing what we're used to doing. And that's kind of how I encourage, you know, marketers and executives to, uh, kind of take a step back every once in a while and just challenge and test ourselves before we, you know, kind of keep phoning it in. I think there's two dimensions to that even because there's the system one thinking 
or two thinking that we have in terms of creating a solution or creating a thing. And, you know, we have to decide whether we quickly do something, like you said, landing page or new marketing campaign, or do we go deeper with it, with analysis? That's for us doing our output part. I think there's also a dimension of what do we want our consumers to have to do, whether it be system one or system two thinking. So when we create something, is this creation going to require them to do system one or system two to respond? Yes. Right? Yes. Because, you know, as a marketer, I've always operated by the, the Steve, Steve Krug's don't make me think approach by ah. not making the content uh, consumer think more than they need to in order to receive my message. So in that light, maybe system one thinking still has its place in marketing. It's funny you bring that up. I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember her name. She's a neuroscientist and uh, she's written for the business world and I'm blank as we're talking right here, but well, it'll come, it'll come. But anyways, I remember reading an article by her on this very thing. She said, uh, you know, imagine, let, let's just, you know, make up a name, Samantha, right? Samantha is your client and you're a SaaS business that has, you know, three levels of solutions. Uh, and, you know, you've kind of got the, the entry level solution, you've got the popular one and you've got the premium. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, our marketing, you know, always says offer the three, you know, emphasize the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say we've got now we've got Samantha as a, as a client. So Samantha's been a client with us, you know, for for two and a half years and her three year contracts coming up and she's got to renew. So this is where the system one, system two exercise is a really good one based on exactly what you're teeing up here, which is, do we want Samantha to take a step back and think about this? Or do we want Samantha not to take a step back (laughs) and think about this? And the timing of the marketing is specific to an interaction like that. So if we say, you know, we know Samantha, Samantha's overwhelmed right now. She's really busy. If we ask her what she wants to do, just by asking her what she wants to do, we're triggering system two thinking. And Samantha's brain is going to say, well, crap, if I've got to put in the cognitive strain to make this decision, I might as well go ahead and do the research to see what all's out there. Uh, So it, you know, it may be a benefit. And and I just want to put a little asterisk on what I'm saying. And this can be used in a manipulative way too. And I'm actually would not, that would, I just don't believe in that. I just, I believe, try, try to be upfront. But to me, I'm saying, let's say we know Samantha and we know the situation and season Samantha's in right now. And she really, we know she doesn't want to deal with this right now because that's not the job she's trying to get done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, the job she wants us to help her do is not to have to think about it right now. It may be better just to, to, to work with uh, Samantha's system one thinking and say, let's just, let's renew and then after you renew, way before we get to the next uh, re-up period, let's schedule some calls and let's walk through where you are as a business and where you are as a client and what we have to offer to see if the level you're at still makes sense for you. So that's a great way of kind of using system one, system two thinking, you know, for the benefit of the seller and the buyer. Definitely, definitely. So, so Keith, I'm going to continue to, to pick up on your articles that you're writing on Business Grow and, and on LinkedIn. I'm glad we're, we're connected. So tell me, uh, thank you for, for joining me today, first of all, and I, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Um, before we go, though, tell me where our listeners can find you and, and learn more from you. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much on, I, I don't do as much social media anymore. So I would say LinkedIn, Keith Rendell Jennings uh, on LinkedIn uh, and KeithJennings.com is my website. So I would say those uh, are the two easiest places to connect. Of course, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that, but I'm not very active. I use those more for listening these days. So okay. I say KeithJennings.com and, and uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. All right. Well, thanks again, Keith, for joining us. I, it was really a pleasure to have a conversation with you. I appreciate you. Definitely. And thanks to the listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want to also see Keith and I, video of this podcast and others are also available in the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.